Hello and here we are then, passing the baton series 2 and this one's entitled Enjoying the Journey and really it's about understanding the desires of God's heart. The date's the 27th of June 2009. Let's start with prayer shall we? Father we thank you. Lord thank you so much. Here we are Father, we present ourselves to you kindle our hearts this day Father match your desire for us with our desire for you you're just so utterly incredible in everything you do and say we worship you Lord amazing God breathe on our wayward hearts and passions today Father make us passionate for Jesus direct our hearts into your love enable us to match your desire for us with our desire for you Take our desires and straighten them out this day, Father. We are bent away from you, Father, and we know it. Take the idols from our hearts and put Jesus there as our deepest gain, our sincerest desire. Bring us back, Holy Spirit, where we've wandered away. Help us, Lord. We need to know these truths. Enable us, Father. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Open the eyes of our understanding. Enable us to comprehend what your intention is towards us that you do have plans to prosper us not harm us enable us to let go of our old thinking old mindsets and align ourselves with you and your agenda for us let's this day Lord begin to move towards you with responsive hearts let us join you in your dream you have a purpose you're gathering from every nation a bride for your son and oh Father, we know the time's so short. Help us, Father, help us. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I want those of you listening on CD to start with writing a prayer of thanksgiving. Praise and worship to the Lord, whichever comes to your mind. Later on you'll see why I need you to do this. It's important for your growth. And if you don't already have a book of prayers and proclamations and declarations, it's time you started. Write them down, record them. And if you don't journal, it's time you did. You really do need to. So, we're always in a hurry, aren't we? We think Concord, God thinks Camel, and that is where all our problems start. We want to get to the finish line and God wants us to enjoy the journey, which we little understand, which he calls the journey of desire. Unless we begin to see things from his perspective, we're going to continue to miss God's best for us. God has a dream and that's actually right back to where we started with these passing the baton meetings nearly three years ago. I think it was the second one. God has a dream. God has a dream for a people he could call his own. A people who would love him as he loved them. Who would spend eternity with him. We have to get eternity into our thinking beloved. Because that's where we're going. We are the eternal companion of a glorious king.
if we don't keep that fact in mind, a lot of what happens to us won't make sense. For a start, we've little or no sense of purpose or understanding where we're going. We're not saved primarily to go to heaven. We are part of his glorious plan for a bride he can call his own. And God is redemptive all the time. What I mean by that is that in all his dealings with mankind, his agenda is restoration. And when he speaks restoration, he means that which he intended in the first place. You know the story of the man who restored furniture and he used to receive old bits and pieces of furniture battered and bruised and he would speak to them and stroke them and tell them what he was going to do to make them beautiful again. His hands would lovingly caress each item and run through the pits and scratches and he would speak tenderly to it. Other people thought he was potty but when he'd finished his work they understood and they too spoke to the restored furniture saying you are beautiful and I never knew it, I never saw it. I'm stuck with the fact that our tragedy in this life is that we have no idea what we have lost and we spend our time trying to fill the aching void within us with something, everything, anything which never fully satisfies. And the reason is, beloved, that we're looking in the wrong place. When God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and told them to keep it and tend it, to be fruitful and multiply, he was showing us something of his heart's desire. That desire was, and still is, to have an eternal companion for his son. Adam and Eve were a visual aid to what God had in mind. From the beginning, weddings have been in his heart. God loves weddings. The first time we see Jesus doing a miracle was at a wedding in Cana, water into wine. And we focus on that. We focus on the miracle, little realizing that God is saying, see this, this is what I want for my son. I want him to have a bride of his own one who will love him. I want a wedding and it will be the wedding of the universe. You remember that I read a few lines that had come out of a meditation I was doing last time we met and here they are again. We really need to recognize what we've lost in order that we kindle a desire to get it back again and restore our passion. Because God has a dream to buy back our lives. It's called redemption. And he is passionate about you and your part in it. My meditation was called He Calls Her Bride. Falling, twisting, turning, spinning, down, down, into darkness, amnesia, something half-remembered, then lost. Darkness of soul, darkness of mind, darkness of understanding. Weakness, blindness, hard landing. Till the soil, sweat Adam, suffer Adam, die Adam. In dying you will die Adam. But what's this? I can't see, my eyes are dim. A man prepared to go? Father, I will bring them back to us. 
My love sees their state, their brokenness. They know not what they do. Darkened understanding, blinded, back turned from his gaze, shifting, hiding, covering, self-protecting. Even redeemed, they know not, they understand little. Still in darkness, their thinking dulled, eyes blurred. But I shall restore, it shall be again, the voice of bridegroom and of bride, they shall be mine, and heaven's joy shall sound, bliss undreamed of shall abound again. Thorns, nails, dragging, tender flesh, searing, tearing, it's done. I will, Father, that they should be with me again. It's done. My Lord receives his crown, his bride his own, and she in accents sweet declares, I am his, I am the bride, and he is mine. Now low at his feet she sinks, understanding come, vision clear. The bride, kissing nail marks, imprints of his love, forever there to show the price he paid to bring her to his side, his bride. Not until all is stilled and heaven's bliss is entered in shall we in wonder understand that which to us now is dim half forgotten, never understood, the depths to which we fell, the depths to which he went, to restore us to himself again, bride and bridegroom at one, to spend eternity in heaven's bliss again. We're in between God's desire for a bride for his son and our desire to be that bride. That's the journey we're on and the journey is called process. Today we'll be looking at both this journey and how we can encourage and strengthen ourselves in the Lord along the way. We're on a journey of desire, the desire that is in God's heart to have a bride for his son, one who will love him as he loves her. God's desire for us is to see us restored to our former beauty. We have no idea how his great his heart is towards us. Beloved, we're like the Laodicean church, naked, poor, pitiful and blind most of the time to what this great God of ours is up to with us. We just aren't on the same page. We're on a journey of desire. What does God mean when he speaks of desire? What do you mean when you think of desire? New coat, new boyfriend, new car, new job, new house, holiday, or something completely different and astronomical. What do we mean when we speak of desire? And does it match his? Take a few moments again now to identify your heart's desire and see if it matches his. Here's a word that the Lord gave through Gina at the close of last week's Nature of God School and it's interspersed with her comments and this is what the Lord said to her. Feel my tears of joy raining down on you because you have made my heart glad. You have made my heart happy that you have come to seek me. You have come to know who I am. 
and she says, The Lord Almighty, El Shaddai, Elohim, is pouring his love over us. His heart is radiating love out to us. It's like, no, it is a living, breathing act. I see his heart pulsating love and it's radiating all over us. And if we will receive it deep within us to the core of our being, so we become full of him and become his living, breathing, walking love. And we'll walk as Jesus did in absolute peace, freedom and knowing who he was and is doing the absolute perfect will of the Father. It grieves my heart, she continues, to see how few crumbs of love and attention I have given to my Lord, El Shaddai Elohim, and yet he's so grateful for the little crumbs he gets. He never gets resentful, he never says, well, you couldn't be bothered until now, and I can't be bothered. No, he waits in anticipation for me or us to get to know him, to allow him deeper and deeper into our lives. Elohim, who created everything, who creates everything, wants us in his life. He who is bigger than the universe, the sum total of him we cannot conceive, yet he humbles himself by waiting on us to go with him. He could so easily make us do it, but his love is patient and waits. Love takes no offence, love does not control, love is kind and long-suffering. The maker of the universe looks longingly at me, hoping I will want to know him. Get your head around that, because I can't. I'm just overwhelmed by him. And now here's God again speaking. He said, You are well worth the investment I have made in you. I love your heart that is turned towards me. I want you all to stop condemning yourselves that you haven't done enough, done it right, spent enough time, and the endless condemnations you heap on yourselves. Don't you know that keeps you from me? That's making yourselves bigger than you are, and it says that you have to do it a certain way, do more, say more, and that it's you who can somehow bring it all about. All I am looking for is a heart that wants to follow me and know me, really know me, and walk in the garden with me, at ease and totally relaxed and trusting. I don't say rest in me and be still and know that I am God for nothing. If you will live by the Spirit, your Spirit communing with mine, if you will trust that you hear from me and obey what I say, if you will stop letting doubt the devil and your old self getting in the way and simply believe me, you will know me in a way you have not known me before. Enoch walked with me and was not. Why? Because he so completely trusted me. Even when tests and trials and circumstances came along, he could see them for what they were and continued trusting me through them for them and with them. Nothing fazed him. All he heard was me. Stop thinking this isn't me thinking to you. <laughs> Sorry. Stop thinking this isn't me speaking to you. My sheep know my voice. The more you get to know me, the more you will know when it isn't me speaking. Think about someone you love. 
If they spoke to you in the dark, you would still recognise their voice. Now if someone tried to pretend to be that person, even though you couldn't see them, no matter how close to their voice was you no matter how close to their voice sounded, you would know it wasn't the one you loved. So it is with you and me. The more of your time you spend with me, the more you will know my voice. And I'm not talking about setting hours and hours aside in silence, straining to get to know me. I'm talking about in your everyday life. I want to walk with you in whatever you do. Yes, time spent alone is necessary, but it's not just about that. Think about your relationships. They're an example. When you first met someone, you didn't know them just like that. You had to spend time with that person. But you didn't spend time 24-7 with them. Even with spouses or children, you're not with them all day, every day. That would be unrealistic. So it is with you and I. We are together always, and sometimes you set time alone with me. So don't go into condemnation as to how much time you set aside for me. I will show and lead each one with regard to that. My word is there to show you the way. Read it, learn from it, and more and more. Ask me to show you more and more from it. But one of the basic lessons from my word is that I am Almighty God, who knows all, sees all, and am ever present with you which should bring you comfort, because I'm with you always, and know what's going on with you, and have worked things out for your good. You just need to trust. You cannot really conceive how much I love you, and have plans for you that are good, to give you a hope and a future. The other lesson is that you're all human, and you can see that from Adam and Eve right through to my apostles. Stop beating yourselves up. It keeps you from me. Come, let's go for a walk together. Listen, I'm looking for willing hearts. Once your heart is willing, I can do the rest. So rest in me. Be still and know that I'm God. I love you. I love you. I love you. And Gina again says... This awesomely majestic, great, big, so big that word isn't enough, no words are, is saying, it's so simple, really. Love me, let me love you, listen to me because I really do know what's best for you. I know the way I have created you and all that's in you. It's not because I need control over you and you have to obey me. No, it's because I love you. So let go of fear and pride and make it simple. Love me, let me love you, obey my commands and be totally free. Therein lies true freedom. And she goes on to say, I can feel inside that we can live a life of heaven on earth because God reaches down from heaven and invades earth. Absolutely, hallelujah. Lastly, I get the real sense that we have to settle this once and for all. We have to get to a place where we walk with God in absolute trust and stop allowing the enemy to get us into condemnation. Because the time is short and no more time should be wasted on whether we can or can't, whether God can or can't through us. 
needs to be settled that yes he can and does want to do it through each one of us so you can tell from that that's what uh, Gina got from the week on the nature of God so welcome to passing the baton number 26 and the title is enjoying the journey Gina has already said we can live a life of heaven on earth. That doesn't mean that everything's going to be hunky-dory. What it does mean is that God's purposes will be fulfilled through those people we call the church. We pray, don't we, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. These are the days we're living in. His kingdom is coming and touching bringing heaven down to earth and we are the conduits or conductors he has chosen for this work. Welcome to the journey. If you were there on the day you will have heard both from Graham Cook and Louis Giglio. If you weren't there on the day I would really recommend that you go into brilliantbookhouse.com and look up Graham's teaching from Limitless Possibilities and the prophetic word that he gave there over some pictures that were displayed at the conference. And Louis Giglio is a man who has spent a lot of time studying the Hubble telescope pictures. And you can obtain his videos which are entitled How Great Is Our God and Incredible through Amazon.co.uk. Both these men have got very different ministries but both are entirely compatible with each other. Graham talked about the limitless possibilities open to us if we will only step into them in Christ. And Louis showed us how vast the known universe is and gave us some idea of how great our God really is. No matter how we think of God, he's bigger than anything we can imagine. Welcome to the journey. There is an insistence in my heart that we need in these days to be prepared. There's something out there for which we need to be ready. Personally I think we have less than three years left before things begin to change. God never does anything except he tells his servants the prophets beforehand. And we are the only hope this world has. And we must learn how to live in heaven on earth. That means we really must settle some things in our minds and hearts. First one, God is good and he is for us. Vacillation has to stop. Gina has already said this. Lastly, she said, I get the real sense that we have to settle this once and for all. We have to get to a place where we walk with God in absolute trust and stop allowing the enemy to get us into condemnation or whatever else he gets you into. Because the time is short and no more time should be wasted on whether we can or can't, whether God can or can't through us. It needs to be settled that yes, he can and he does want to do it through each one of us. Before I came to sit down to dictate this CD this morning, I had an email that told me that someone who was prayed for at the last baton, and, and I spoke freedom over, 
has recognised that what stopped her from receiving her freedom was unbelief. And it needed apparently two other people to speak this word to her, that it was done when it was prayed for. And she's now come into glorious freedom. My question to you today is, is the thing that holds you back unbelief? Belief or unbelief is a choice. You need to repent, choose to believe and step out on the promises of God. So, let's have a look now at strengthening yourself or encouraging yourself in the Lord in which we learn that God doesn't deliver us from life, he delivers us through it. Sometimes I think we believe we've had some sort of inoculation against trouble when we become Christians and then we're so surprised that life happens, as David found. We'll have a look at it in a minute. This is where we need to start to enjoy the journey that we're on, good, bad or indifferent. Happiness is a choice. So, in the journey we're on, we must learn how to disempower disappointment, letdown and betrayals, and discover how to make them work for us, not against us. We all have our share. Things just didn't work out the way we thought they would, and we get to choose how we respond. Everything that's happened to you, God can use, not only for your profit, but for the profit of others. God's an economist, he doesn't waste a thing. And he's simultaneous and he's doing lots of things all at the same time. He's present future with us, not present past. If you live in the past, he's got to go back there to bring you into the future with him. And this wastes time. And time, beloved, is the only commodity you have. So he stands out there in your future, calling you into something bigger. Jesus came to bring the entire universe back into harmony with its maker. He didn't just come so that you might get saved and go to heaven when you die. There is a much greater purpose at work here. The whole creation is groaning in eager expectation. Romans 8.19 in the New American Standard Bible says it this way. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What if that is what God is wanting you to see? What if that is what God is wanting to call you into? Sonship, in order to release the creation into its full glory. For some of us, I think God calls us into sonship and we promptly move ourselves back into slavery again. The principle is whatever we focus on we give power to. Ever had an itch? Focus on it and it drives you mad. We can profit from every potential damaging situation. God's not going to protect you from life. It would kill you. You'd end up like a plant that was brought up in a greenhouse leggy and pale and the slightest whiff of cold air and you'd be done for. But what he does promise you is fullness of life and heart peace. The Hebrew word here is shalom 
which means much more than just peace it car or absence of conflict as we would understand it. It carries with it restoration of body, soul and spirit, the whole person. Jesus, if you like, is holistic in his approach. He doesn't just heal your physical body, he encompasses you head to feet in his healing touch. And he has a purpose in this. Shalom is the blessing of God on the whole of you. So for those of you listening right now, I say shalom over your life. If you're still wounded and offended from something in the past, it proves that your old sin nature is still alive. Every time you speak of it, every time you think of it, you give it life. You are doing it. The best way to keep it dead is to live in the new nature in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We studied this last month. You cannot continue to allow past hurts to affect today. They'll end up killing you. So make a list, your third one now, of disappointments, betrayals and letdowns and make the choice to evict all those negatives. You are not defined by these, but by what God says now. He's not a God of the I was, but I am. When you've made your negative list, list the opposites alongside and choose to live there and set a watch on yourself. Just talk to yourself if you find yourself sliding back into your negatives. So, here's David and life has just happened to him. He's been off fighting a battle somewhere and when he gets home, this is what he finds. 1 Samuel 30 verse 1 and I'll read from the New American Standard Bible. It's headed up David's victory over the Amalekites. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire and they took captive the women and all who were in it both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went on their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Je Jezreelites and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. So David went, he and the six hundred men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those left behind remained. But David pursued, 
and he and 400 men for 200 who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor remained behind. Now they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he ate and they provided him water to drink. They gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins and he ate. Then his spirit revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev of the Cherahites, and on that which belonged to Judah, and on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Then David said to him, Will you bring me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I'll bring you down to this band. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from twilight till the evening of the next day and not a man of them escaped except four hundred young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. Here David's not only suffering from his own loss, but the fact that all the people wanted to stone him. So the first thing he does is to go to inquire of the Lord, what to do, shall I pursue? And the Lord said, pursue. David went. The circumstances in which we find ourselves with either cause us to grow or to become discouraged and in despair. They are intended to cause us to grow. They are allowed to teach us to turn to the Lord to ask questions. Who he wants to be for us in this, how he wants us to stand, what he wants us to do. Provision is there in any and every circumstance, so it's imperative we begin to understand his ways and enjoy this journey we're on. Life in the Spirit is always about going deeper or learning something new about him and his purposes for us. It is not primarily about us getting our needs met, although that will happen along the way. God is relational and he is redemptive all the time. He's purposeful and he has a goal in mind. What we need to do is to learn to still ourselves in order to hear what his view in the situation is. David was distressed. He's lost everything, his wives, everything. But David knew how to strengthen himself in the Lord and find out what was happening in this devastating situation. His first recourse is to seek the Lord about what he should do. Rule of life, don't panic, pray. David was a man who'd spent a lot of time in his youth alone with God and he'd learned to make God his refuge and his strength. God who has delivered me, he said, from the paw of the lion and the bear. 
1 Samuel 17:37 in the NIV. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David's confidence is in the Lord. Even though he has to do something at ground level, he knows he's not going in his own strength to fight this battle. He does the natural, and God does the supernatural. There are times in our lives when we have to step out and into what God is talking to us about. We do the natural, he does the supernatural. But without our stepping out, he cannot do anything. If we do not move, we tie his hands. We are God's fellow workers, we are yoked together with him, but we must move when he says go, or we will see nothing. Sometimes we need to do nothing other than raise our hands. Simple obedience. Exodus 17, 11-12 in the New International Version. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. We learn the discipline of the Spirit through the circumstances of our lives. What do you think God was showing Moses here? What do you think he was showing Moses when he told him to strike the water and the rock? Each time the supernatural follows the natural. Move out. Every situation we encounter tells us something about God and ourselves. We're on a journey of discovery about our own identity. The identity God sees when he speaks to us. When he called Moses, quite an altercation took place with Moses telling God what he couldn't do. I can't, you will. Shortened version. Your current situation is telling you something both about yourself and about who God is and who he wants to be for you. He's always speaking from the future to you in the present. Nevertheless, I will be with you. When you get there, I'll be there. Don't worry. Confidence. And by the way, I'll be with you every step of the way too. Cast iron promise. Can't lose. We become people of the Spirit when we discover the nature and the character of God in the situation in which we find ourselves. The flesh always wants a quick exit from circumstances and situations. Get me out of here. But what if every circumstance you come up against is primarily for you to discover who God is for you? And as an incidental, you'll discover something about yourself as well, which could be really interesting and eye-opening. So we're on this journey of discovery into the heart of God and into ourselves, understanding what needs to change within us. There's always something he wants to upgrade in us. What? If there is something he wants to open up to you about himself 
or about yourself? What if it's not just about chugging along, getting by somehow till your home call? What if there's something so vast, so God-sized, He wants you to experience with Him? What if we haven't seen anything yet? What if we are coming into a time so amazing, so exciting, that we have never dreamed of? What if this is the church's finest hour? Do you want to be a part of that? So David is distressed and he strengthens himself in the Lord. He calls the priest, bring the ephod. He knows he must inquire of the Lord first. The Lord tells him to pursue, for you will surely rescue all. As he goes, he meets an Egyptian. We'll see this later on. This is the provision which the Lord has set on the way. Where there's a problem, the provision is right there. The disciplines we learn of the Spirit in our journey with God are through the circumstances of our lives. Every situation tells us something about God and about ourselves. We become people of the Spirit when we discover that our current situation is telling us something about who we are and it's telling us something about who God is and who he wants to be for us. We become people of the Spirit when we discover the nature of God in the situation in which we find ourselves and that part of his nature becomes ours. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He desires us with a passion. His will is in his word. He wants to help us in all of this. He could not be more for us. And there's grace for us in this situation to grow. The issue is never the issue. The issue is what is it of himself that he wants to reveal right now? God will orchestrate things in your lives to bring you from one place to another. We say, I could do without this right now. God says, it's exactly what you need right now. Grace is the growing room. Circumstances are the compost. Grace gives you room to grow and make mistakes and get it wrong and learn from it. Peace, joy, righteousness, pushing us out in faith and knowledge. Deeper level, deep, deeper, deepest. Not a joy ride, but there is joy to be had. He will use people, eyes off of them and on to him. It's not about the outcome. It's about him. It's about what part of his nature he wants to bestow on you right now. You become peace. You become patience, just like Jesus. He didn't have patience. He didn't have peace. He was patience, and he was and is peace. Joy is yours. Fruitfulness. Everything. That's the journey of desire. 
What if every situation or circumstance was primarily about this? Discovering who God is for you. What if there really is something right now that he wants you to see? Something about himself. You get to find out something about him. This is what God wants to be for me. What if that's what it's all about? Or what if it's uh, Romans 8.28 and this is the contemporary English version. We know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. Something very interesting here. This is not a blanket promise. This is not everyone, but those who love him in their situation and to those who love God according to his purpose in that situation. Not according to if you grumble and complain your way through it. You won't gain anything. Loving him in it, thanking him in it, praising him for who he is and his faithfulness. Faithful God. You have to know something for things to work for good. It's not automatic. As I said, if you're going through life grumbling and complaining, resentful and bitter, never seeing the opportunities God's holding out to you, you won't realise Romans 8.28 because they're not working out for your good. You have to know what God's up to because you have to cooperate. You have to align yourself with the purpose of God in the situation in which you find yourself. So you have to know something. You have to have an encounter with God's love that enables you to see what he's up to. He's always up to something. He's always got a bigger purpose than just your personal circumstances or indeed sometimes your personal comfort. He wants to help you, but he's so present future in the way he is. He stands in the present, talking to you about the future. And he's also in the future. He'll be there when you get there. He understands who you are right now, and he has grace for who you are right now. But he also knows who you are becoming, and he knows the value of the situation you are in to bring you into the person that he sees. It's what prophecy is all about. Prophecy, Graham Cook says, is history written in advance. So get your prophetic words out. Have a look what God is saying who you are in those words and then recognize where you are on your journey towards you becoming that person. What character traits is he trying to work into you in order that you ha will have the character that will sustain the word that's been spoken over you. It's not automatic. So that knowledge enables you to see the person that is emerging in you. You are being changed from one degree of glory to another whether you feel like it or not. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. 
So when the Lord looks at you, he always sees two versions of you. The one you are right now and the one you're becoming. And he loves to merge them and bring them together so that you become the person he's seeing. And all your life events and circumstances are about that journey from the present into the future and your destiny in Christ and your delight in him as you travel together. So every circumstance is about following the particular plan that God has laid out to achieve a definite purpose. He's purposeful and you need to know what that purpose is. What if the purpose is joy in who he is right now? Never mind the circumstance. What if he's teaching you joy and how to be happy in these circumstances? He says you have to cooperate to walk this with me and find the joy. So maybe it's just about that, finding joy in all the circumstances of life. With God it's not just about stuff or things. It's not just about growing in faith or growing in power. It's about discovering his very nature. You taking on board peace for yourself because God wants you to be at peace. He wants to give you his peace and his joy and his laughter but there is a process. And he loves the process. He loves the journey with you. Process is a series of steps that take us from where we are right now to where he wants us to be. There is a process that will totally engage you in a faith-filled encounter with God that will overcome the enemy and bring you to a larger place in the spirit. But like everything else, you get to choose. Life in the spirit is about two things, displacement and choices, cooperation with God and alignment with him in every situation. Not a lot of point being aligned with anything else other than him, wouldn't you say? So here's Dave. Come home, but home isn't there anymore. Just ashes, despair, dismay, horror and devastation. Some people, you know, have to have a focus for their anger, so Dave gets it from his erstwhile colleagues. One moment they're supporting him, and the next they're talking about stoning him. He doesn't need this right now. He's struggling with his own losses. When you get into traumatic circumstances, people either become passive or aggressive, and Dave has got the aggressive ones. So not only does David have to handle the fact that he's lost everything too, but he has to handle the fact that now they want to kill him. It was in situations like these that David learned to be a man after God's own heart. That's the first thing you have to do when you get into adverse circumstances. Go to him. Go after him. You cannot afford to eyeball the circumstances until you've taken a good long look at God. Thanksgiving and worship has to be deliberate. Go there first. This is why I got you to write out your prayers of thanksgiving and praise before we started. Because when push comes to shove you won't feel like it. And you will have to go to what you've already prepared and use that. 
In doing so, you will push yourself into a place of thanksgiving and worship, which will bring you into the presence where you will meet with him in a new way. And you will receive the divine wisdom and direction you need for your situation. You will also find comfort and understanding. It's almost worth having the situation for what you gain. We're not thanking God for what's happening. We're not saying, thank you, Lord, my house has been burned down and all my relatives have been taken away. We are thanking him because he is with us in the situation and he is faithful and he is for us. We're not Christian masochists, as Graham Cook would say. I'm not thanking you because I've lost everything. I'm thanking you because of who you are, regardless of my circumstances your nature this is what I know about you because what I know about you is what I need right now this is where we draw on the nature of God that we have actually experienced for ourselves this is not book learning I know you I know you understand and feel for me in this I know you will be with you me I know what you're like Knowing that enables David to strengthen his heart in God. Some versions say he encouraged himself in God. Same thing. He gets strength from his previous knowledge of God and goes straight to confer with him. He knows that one word from the Lord and he'll be all right. And that is what he needs right now. So you have to engage with God in your heart first. Don't go at it with your head because if you go at it with your head you'll have no encounter with him. The encounters with God come into your heart, not your head. You didn't invite Jesus into your head when you got saved. It is the heart that has the divine encounters. You remember in the word that Gina gave us he spoke about his heart being moved because we had sought him not what he could give us we weren't looking for that we were seeking to know him for who he is and his heart had been touched deeply by our quest for him so it's the heart that has the divine encounters it's what you know about the nature of God that sustains you you must see who he is, <clears throat> excuse me, and who he is for you. This is upfront and personal. Don't go to other people. Go to him. He's your source. He's your all sufficiency. He is all you need and he is big enough. So you're asking, what is it? You want to be for me now that you couldn't be at any other time. What do you want me to know about you? What can I discover about you in a new and deeper way? I need a fresh encounter with your majesty. Things are speeding up and we are learning to think more quickly and respond faster. But we're never ready for what he wants to do. And he doesn't wait until we're ready. 
We're never ready for what God wants to do. The scriptures are littered with people who weren't ready. Moses, he wasn't ready when he walked across to have a look at the burning bush. Abraham, David, Mary, they weren't ready. You won't be ready for what he wants to do, so you need to find out what his agenda is. Go to him first and have a heart encounter. We all have multiple identities, you know, but hopefully only one personality. M my identities include being a mother, a grandmother, a teacher, a prophet and a leader, and other bits and pieces besides. But my personality is who I am in each of those situations. God's got multiple identities too. And one of the exercises we did at the Nature of God conference last week was to establish who we knew him as. Father, lover, brother, shepherd, comforter, rock, fortress, you can go on, saviour, lord, or something else. What have you learnt by experience about who he is for you when push comes to shove? Is he a healer? Is he a deliverer? Is he your strong tower? Is that where you can run for refuge? These are things that are established within you. What if, if some of your circumstances are simply about discovering what identity he wants to be for you? Maybe he wants to be, as I said earlier, your joy, your love, your peace, your patience. Life in the Spirit, which is the journey that we're all on, is about discovering who he wants to be, the identity he wants to show you right now, and you learning how to walk with him in that. It's all about you and him. That's what the circumstances are there for. This is what your journey is all about. Walking with him through each day in childlike simplicity and trust, just as Enoch walked with him. That is his desire for each one of us, and Enoch was not, you know. Because God took him. You will grow through all this, but primarily it's about what he wants to be for you. So it gets a hold of you and you can say, I know you. And then wonder of wonders, you begin to come that, become that yourself. You become peaceful. You become a warrior. You become like him. You learn to overcome. You learn all the things he is and you begin to live them. This is our journey of desire, our desire to be like him and do the things he did when he walked on this earth. So again the question, what aspect of his nature does he want to make real to you in your current circumstances? As you get to know him in this, you get to access those things and you get to know him as part of your walk with him and these are all added to your internal storehouse of your knowledge of him. Just imagine you've got a well inside you there and every time you go through something and you find out something different about the Lord, water is added to your well. So where are you going to go when you're thirsty? You're going to go to your internal well and you're going to draw from that. Jesus said, didn't he, you'd never thirst again if you went to him. So you say, I know you Lord, you are this, and you almost pick the identity 
that he will be for you in any given situation because you're coming to the place where you know him so well. Finding out new, ongoing, deeper. That's walking with God. What does he want to be now that he couldn't be in any other circumstance? Always an encounter, always wisdom, always more to explore. For David, then, there was an opportunity in this situation. Encourage yourself, David, because you can. God is with you. You can strengthen and encourage yourself in the Lord too. The Holy Spirit is for you. He's with you. He's your personal trainer. Open your heart an inch and he'll take a mile. He's so ready to come in and help you. You can receive courage, strength and stamina from the Holy Spirit in your situation. He wants you to see something you've never seen before and it needs this situation to show it to you. But your heart must be touched first. Don't let your mind loose on your situation or circumstance before you've let your heart go into God. Romans 8 verse 6 says this, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Mindsets, whoops! And here's the displacement theory. You can only replace a mindset with a mindset. So the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Tough choice. Life or death. I mean, that's a hard one. I don't know whether I want death or life. The natural mind is hostile to God. Romans 8, 7 says this. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it doesn't subject itself to the law of God, for it isn't even able to do so. So the first barrier you'll always have to overcome is, guess what? Yourself. We are always our own worst enemy, and the enemy can only use what we give him. Lunch is served, and I'm on the menu again. So be very careful what you do with your mind. Don't give him space there. Despair is customary, but it isn't normal. Psalm 42.5 says this, Why are you in despair, O my soul? David talking to himself. Why have you become disturbed within me? What's the matter with you here? Hoping God. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Sometimes we just have to talk to ourselves and get ourselves out of that place we've dug ourselves into. The flesh will take life. The spirit will give you life. The spirit gives peace and purpose. The flesh, beloved, will rob you every single time if you don't train yourself to go into thanksgiving, praise and worship before you engage that thing that resides between your ears, your mind. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile. And that is, it is aggressive, argumentative, antagonistic, unfriendly and unreceptive to God. There's a list. It's hostile to faith, 
hostile to the promises and you won't see the provision if it's set on something other than God. As I said before, Romans 8.28 only works for those who love God in the circumstances. And instead of growing in God, what will happen is that you will become a prisoner to your circumstances. If you let that mind of yours loose before you've engaged with God in your heart. God is asking you to begin elevating your thinking. Consider Abraham. Romans 4.17 New American Standard Bible As it is written, A father of many nations I have made you. That's present future. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Elevate your thinking. Romans 4.19 Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of um, Sarah's womb. In this scripture, we've got Abraham looking at himself. He's having a good look there. Just had a bath and he's looking at what he's got, his assets. It says that he contemplated his own body. He looked at his body, thought about the problem. God said this, not a pretty sight. He said, I'm going to be a dad and Sarah, well, mm -mm, everything dried up a long time ago. But he looks up and says, unless you do it, it ain't going to get done. He thought about these things, but he didn't become weak in faith. He didn't compromise his faith. He looked squarely at the impossible situation and said, But God! If your head looks first, you'll compromise. How can that be possible? I can't see it. I can't work it out. How can I do it? But as the heart looks to God, Abraham rests on the promise of the one he knew by experience. Never allow your circumstances to mediate against what God has said. Every promise is tested, is necessary so that faith can grow. The test is there for your increase. You can think through all the implications without destroying your faith, Abraham did. He didn't cast his brains aside. He looked at his body and then at the nature of the one who'd made the promises. Sarah, on the other hand, interestingly, didn't do that. She ended up producing an Ishmael, which resulted in tension and difficulties even to the present day. The mind set on the spirit will produce, it will produce assurance and faith. And the situation might get worse before it gets better, it often does. Don't look for a quick escape. The flesh is always looking for deliverance. Sometimes these things are extended and we need to persevere and endure. For David now, the situation did get worse. Not only had he lost all his possessions and his wives, now his men want to stone him. In our own fellowship with each other, we need to learn to persevere and be steadfast 
We need to find new ways of standing together, fighting a good fight, not jumping ship the moment that things don't go the way we want them to. I'll be expanding on this next time when we look at a more excellent way. God, I believe, is calling us to begin to live in all Jesus won for us on the cross and to step into that which he's planned for us. This could be our finest hour. It will also stretch us in faith, perseverance and faithfulness to him and to one another. It's time to fight a good fight and a good fight is one, as Graham would say, is one that you don't lose. We cannot just sit back and let God do everything. Sometimes I hear Christians say, oh, well, God will have to do it. And nothing happens. There is a part we must play in order to bring his purposes about and to bring heaven to earth. David has to go out and pursue. The man didn't even know where they'd gone. He just took off because God said, pursue. And he knew he wasn't actually pursuing the enemy. He was pursuing God. Wherever God had gone, he wanted to be there. God had moved and David wanted to be there where he was. Because why? Because he always goes before. So David isn't pursuing either the enemy or the outcome. He's after God. Out there where God is, there is the provision. We see from the text that this provision comes in the form of one of the enemy soldiers left behind to die. David could do with some military intelligence at this point and this is a very useful find. The man tells him where the enemy is and the rest is history. God went before, provision was there, the outcome was sure even before David left Ziklag. Incidentally, you seldom see the provision before you move out. You move and you bump into the provision. That's most often the way it happens. You have to make the first step of faith and you meet God right there where you're going. You might even find the enemy helping you along. David was. So what we've seen is that we are in Christ and he has the victory. So we move out from a place of victory, not towards it. It's already ours. The Holy Spirit enables us in all this, teaching us to ask properly, to position ourselves correctly, to move when he tells us to move and go unflinchingly forward as he directs. Life in the Spirit is about becoming God-conscious, a place where there is no separation but transformation, where you get to become like him as he is in this world so are we. So wherever you are right now, don't pursue the problem, pursue God. Pursue the Father and He will reveal the provision. You keep your eyes on Him, not on the outcome. You are in Christ, victory is certain. And one scripture to end with then, and this really is our rallying cry, and it's Isaiah 60 verse 1 in the Amplified. Arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you. Rise to a new life. Shine. Be radiant with the glory of the Lord, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen on you. Amen. Thank you for listening. God bless you. 
next time we'll be having a look at the love walk. God bless you.